Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. And golly gee, Willikers, do we have a special treat for you today. Two episodes in one day. Things are getting crazy over here. We took about a three to four week break because Christmas, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, everybody needed a little break from all the political news. But we are back in the saddle, raring and ready to go. And for those those of you that maybe missed the first episode of the day, you're going to want to go back to our Facebook, Must Read Alaska's Facebook. I pinned to the top of the page the interview with Kim, with Kim Strassel, who is uh, on the editorial board for the Wall Street Journal and a New York Times bestselling author. She is epic, and you're going to want to spend 30 minutes of your day listening to the ins and outs of how her brain operates as it relates to conservative politics in the U.S., it's uh, worth your 30 minutes to sit and listen to her. But without further ado, we have a very special guest today, Sean Williams, who's the Vice President of Governor, Government Affairs and Strategy for Pacific Dataport. Um, he was also an Assistant Commissioner of Commerce under uh, Dunleavy uh, for when he first got there in office. And he knows all about some of the latest and greatest internet things that are coming our way here in Alaska. So without further ado, Sean, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. Hi, John. Thanks for, for having me on your show. Well, I'm excited. So tell me a little bit about how your role plays into internet here in Alaska. Internet's always been an issue here in Alaska, where I live on the Kenai Peninsula Borough. Geez, just four years ago, we finally upgraded past DSL or past dial-up and we got DSL. It was a big deal. That happened four years ago. I'm sure that probably happened everywhere else in the United States in 1997. And so we're a little late to the game here in Alaska, but tell us about your role and how it ties into high-speed internet here in Alaska. Well, I uh, after I left the Dunleavy administration, I started working at Pacific Data Port, and that was almost three years ago. So it's been about three years of, of basically studying uh, intensely the uh, economics of broadband in rural Alaska. Um, and it is uh, extremely complicated and um, there, there must be a, a million factors, right? So, so you have the fact that we have, um, what is it, 665,000 uh, uh, square miles. Um, and we have 14 mountain ranges and 3 million lakes and 3000 rivers. I mean, to get, to get broadband to everyone, um, you could run fiber or microwave everywhere. And to a certain extent, uh, the Terra network does that in Southwest. It attempts to anyway, from mountaintop to mountaintop, they're running these microwaves and, um, you kind of end up with a, uh, a mediocre service at best. I mean, most people are, are running less than five by one, five being download and one being upload. Um, and it's not exactly the most affordable. So um, 
the, the company that I work for is called Pacific Dataport. It was started in 2017. And the reason it was started is because its sister company, Microcom, and people might, might recognize Microcom. Uh, Microcom has been serving, uh, you know, satellite TV and broadband uh, throughout Alaska for about 38 years. Of course, broadband doesn't go back that far, but TV does. Um, they have branches in uh, Hawaii as well as branches in Idaho. But when it, when it comes to Alaska, they were buying capacity uh, from other satellite owners. And, and eventually they ran out of satellite capacity to buy and sell to their customers throughout Alaska. And, and it was kind of second rate, right? It was low on the horizon. It was somewhat slow. It was pretty expensive. It was old C-band technology. And, uh, uh, Chuck Schumann and Sandra Blinstrubis said their husband and wife team that own microcom. They said, you know what? We're just going to solve this problem ourselves. We're going to start a company called Pacific Dataport. It'll be a middle mile company that specializes in satellite middle mile. We're going to buy our own satellite. Um, and because there had kind of, as technology developed innovation and all that stuff, it became more affordable to actually buy this. And we started working with a company out of San Francisco and ultimately signed on to buy one of their satellites. And um, that satellite is built in, in a box. It's a, a geosynchronous, actually, it's called a micro geo HTS, which is high throughput satellite. It's, a, it's the next generation. Um, it's not the old C-band technology that some of us are familiar with. Um, but, but that satellite called the Aurora 4A or Arcturus is sitting in a box and uh, will soon be on its way to Cape Canaveral. And uh, at this moment, it's scheduled for March 24th um, to be uh, sent up on a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket as additional payload with the Viasat 3 satellite, which is a huge, huge satellite. Ours is like the size of a commercial dishwasher. And um, it'll go up in, in about four to six weeks, it'll go commercial. And it will be the first Alaska-centric a uh, satellite middle mile service that will literally cover every inch of Alaska. And it'll be at about 20 degrees off the horizon rather than what we know, uh, you know, is, is normally like eight degrees off the horizon. It's just, if you have a tree or a building or a mountain, it's just, you're not going to get it. But in this situation, it's considerably higher on the horizon, which allows a lot more people to get it. So that's our that's goal awesome. is to get everyone broadband. Yeah, I think if people in Alaska are used to putting up, you know, 10 years ago, I had satellite internet. And it seems like I put my satellite at the top of a 100 foot pole pointed downwards. Mm -hmm. And so exactly. tell, tell me why, you know, all this sounds awesome. You're launching a satellite. Um, why should the everyday Alaskan be excited about this kind of next generational satellite? You say, and it's a size of a dishwasher instead of a suburban. What's exciting about this for somebody that lives in the woods? that's used to getting crappy, slow dial-up speed internet? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I'm in the process of building a cabin in Talkeetna on five acres, completely remote, right? Off the grid. And even I'll be able to have internet at that location. So um, probably the most exciting thing about it is one, it's going to be affordable. And two, it's going to be much faster than what people are used to getting. Um, even if, even if they actually get service to their house already in, in a village somewhere, right? 
So the, the Alaska Broadband Task Force, uh, which Governor Don Levy uh, put together about a year ago, uh, in their report, they uh, have declared that 242 communities throughout Alaska are still unserved or underserved, which means that they do not have a wired broadband connection that offers 25 down and three up or better. So that's 242 communities. In the last uh, six months or so, um, maybe the last year, the feds have promised to connect about 75 of those communities. So if you do the quick math, you can figure out um, that we have about 150 communities that at this moment still have no funding coming. There is no plan to get those people connected. And the way we look at it at Pacific Dataport, it is our job to help getting to help get those people connected. Um, I probably would share that we we do have a second system that we don't own, but we have access to, and that is the OneWeb Leo network, and that is a worldwide network of low Earth orbit satellites. They're very similar to the Starlink constellation, um, but they have a different business model. Starlink has a business model where they sell directly to the customer. It's called DTC, direct to consumer. And um, they're happy, you know, Elon Musk is happy cutting out the middleman, cutting out the telecom, just uh, send us a credit card payment and we'll drop it in the mail for you. And then it's all, here's an app that helps you get connected. So that's pretty cool. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people who would still just like to go through their provider. And um, what OneWeb does is it sells capacity to the telecoms, uh, tribes, tribal broadband consortiums, schools, health clinics, and we help them do that. We are the conduit here in Alaska to help them, uh, you know, sell their capacity to those to those organizations. So there, that's a hundred percent online. As of June first, this past summer, it was a hundred percent commercially available in Alaska. Um, so, so we do we we do have one online ready to go. Here in about 60 days, we'll have a second one online ready to go. It'll be the, the Aurora network with the uh, GOHTS. Nice. Um, tell, tell me about this. Um, recently, I, I might just destroy the House bill number, but House Bill 363, I think, mm -hmm. um, was passed and signed by the governor, broadband, creating a broadband office in the Department of Commerce. Talk to me about that bill. Do you think it's sufficient enough? Does it solve the problem? Is it a Band-Aid? Does it make the problem worse? What, what's your thoughts mm -hmm. on it? That's a great question, John. So, so this HB 363, which was uh, passed at the very last minute, um, it was actually the House The House bill was sponsored by Bryce Edgman, and the Senate bill was sponsored by Mia Costello. And, um, uh, you know, uh, Representative Edgman got it through the House, and um, once it got to Senator Costello's desk, she realized she talked to more people. Right? She talked to our company. She talked to OneWeb. She talked to a lot of other people, and most of those people pointed out that there are some serious deficiencies in this HB three sixty three, and um, we basically. Uh, worked on a CS and, you know, that was passed on to Labor and Commerce Committee uh, as well as Finance Committee. And I, I think everyone had short timers. They were ready to get out of Dodge. And <laughs> they, they basically, you know, went right back to Bryce's bill because they didn't want to, you know, mess with it, I guess. And, um, and then 
it passed in the Senate and then back in the House. And long story short, the, the governor signed that, that bill uh, just a couple of months ago. And so it's a done deal. But let me share with you the three things that it does. The first thing that it does is create the broadband office in the Department of Commerce. And um, in, in the Department of Commerce, um, they will have some advisory committees, both um, the, two, two types of advisory committees, and it's all kind of structured out. And these were all recommendations from the governor's task force, um, which was led by, uh, you know, basically, you know, some people, some stakeholders, uh, which included the telcos. So um, it, it created the broadband office and that broadband office is really important because it will help determine where the bead funding is going to go. And the bead funding is coming from IJA. Um, collectively, it's about $42.5 billion. We expect that we'll probably get 500 million of that, sadly. <laughs> Definitely, we could be using more of that money um, if, if, uh, if the feds would send it our direction. But needless to say, that broadband office will help determine where that money goes. The second thing that it does is um, create priorities. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting because the, the priorities were already outlined in IJA. So uh, it was kind of a moot point. It was just in there again. The third thing that it did was create the broadband parity fund. Now, it didn't, it didn't put the money in there for the broadband parity fund. But if, if the broadband office um, decided to use some of that money and drop it in there and then the interest from that fund would go to the telecoms to help pay for, uh, you know, high cost areas. Now on the, on the inside, you kind of think, well, wait a second, why would we create a broadband parity fund? And it's basically going to just, it's almost like the power cost equalization, except it's for broadband. And as a fiscal conservative, it pained me greatly to know that, um, that we had a lot of Democrats and we had a lot of Republicans vote for this bill. So was it adequate? And the answer to that question is that um, there are two things that I believe we need to fix in HB 363. Um, the first uh, is that there's a line in HB 363 that says um, a firm with experience serving rural Alaska. So if, if an applicant, uh, you know, part of the scoring, point scoring and stuff like that, it, it, will, it will favor applicants who have experience serving rural Alaska already. And, and all that means is that it'll go to GCI, ACS, or, you know, some, one of the companies that have already been here for a long time. And, and I, I think that's not necessarily a good thing when you're trying to get competition and get, get people bidding against each other. Um, I'll tell you what's missing in a lot of these awards, federal awards is competition. You'll have one company apply for the money and no one else touches it. It's literally just one company. So there is no competition. The second part that needs to be fixed is uh, technology neutral. And those bead uh, award dis uh, decisions need to be made without technical requirements. Um, and, and they must be technology neutral because you can't favor one over the other, especially when we're talking about Alaska and getting you know, these 150 communities that are still locked out. Um, getting them served, it'll take forever to run fiber to them. And we need to make sure that satellite is an option.
So I got a, I got a just a simple question for you. It sounds like Alaska could be potentially getting five hundred million dollars. Why does the government need five hundred million dollars when it sounds like um, there's already a couple solutions on the table? They could sign up for your thing. They could sign up for Elon Musk's thing. Hundred percent coverage on both sides. Why in the God's green earth does the government need five hundred million dollars when somebody could sign up today? in any village all over Alaska and get coverage today? Um, that That <laughs> is a million dollar question. And, um, you know, listen, I, I right now getting people connected with broadband and giving them laptops and iPads and making sure that there's, you know, they know how to use it. They're not going to get taken advantage of on the internet. You know, th since COVID-19 happened, Basically, everyone in America decided that that broadband is a necessity, and and we absolutely agree with that. Um, but but the answer isn't to literally throw billions and billions and billions of, of dollars at a situation and hope that uh, that it solves the problem. In Alaska, our, our problems are very complicated and. You know, there is there are plenty of firms out there willing to take that federal money and, uh, you know, build fiber and then try to collect more subsidies on that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know if you realize it, but the FCC spends between the uh, the high cost USF uh, Alaska plan and the E-rate plan and the rural healthcare program, um, they, they spend almost $400, uh, excuse me, $400 million a year here in subsidies, Jeez. right? That's user subsidies. That's not for building out. That's for user subsidies. And then you have the reconnect, which usually spends about 50 million a year here. Um, and that, that is for build out. Um, um, I know ACS has their own high cost USF plan and they, they use that 20 million a year for build out, which is great. Um, so, so some of the money is used for build out, but it's less than 10%, right? So this bead funding that's coming is um, a good chunk of it is for building out new connectivity, um, making, you know, getting more people connected with broadband. Um, so one of our biggest challenges in all of Alaska is missing middle mile. It is missing middle mile is the reason why uh, the reason why service, you know, uh, broadband service in Alaska costs so much. Um, it's, you know, it's scarce. And, you know, you have, you have a company that comes in and says, Hey, we'll, you know, if we get a little bit of subsidy here, we'll, we'll be able to throw in a couple of bucks of our own money. We'll build the fiber. And then, you know, uh, and then they end up paying a lot to get service there. Now, one thing that's developed in the last six months, which is, which is actually pretty cool is that the telcos, um, and I'll give props to GCI cause it's GCI. Um, GCI has matched their, uh, their pricing in the villages. As long as they're connected with fiber, they have matched the urban prices um, what we call urban prices is basically anchorage prices in packages. So that, that is a huge development um, that, 
that uh, you know one of our biggest our biggest broadband provider in the state has has reached here in the last six months, which which I think is is pretty impressive. That's pretty awesome. So, how long do you think it's going to take for something like this to make it to you know those seventy that is on the Fed list and another hundred or so that still need to be on some sort of a list? Is this a five year plan, a ten year plan, a twenty year plan? I think. You know, you and I both know that oftentimes people have these big ideas in Alaska and they put literally hundreds of millions of dollars behind it and nothing ever happens. So in your in your mind, how, how you know, when could somebody start seeing the fruit of this if they live somewhere you can only get to by plane? So so I think I think where I hear you going with this is what is how much is it going to cost and how long is it going to take? Yeah. And um, that is the second billion dollar question <laughs> in this business. And um, uh, w- what I'll share with you is that, that we looked at what the feds are spending to connect a, um, you know, connect someone in rural Alaska with broadband and it's tens of thousands of dollars. So if we take that and we look at how many, how many households are not connected yet um, in-house, we come up with an estimate of somewhere between um, I want to say it was close to $4 billion to get everyone in the state connected with fiber. Okay. Uh, now that's just to build it, right? That's not operations, maintenance, any subsidies that might be coming uh, to help the, the customer pay for it. Um, that's literally just to build it. Now I worked with a group of grad students um, using an AI um, algorithm that, that they created and um, they basically mapped out Alaska and they mapped out what we have for middle mile and uh, fiber middle mile and what we would still need, uh, taking into consideration that mountain ranges were impassable and um, uh, rivers were actually a positive, right? Because we're hoping that you can run fiber up a river. And um, they came up with an estimate of $3 billion. So I, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that it would cost 3 to $4 billion to run fiber to all of the, the communities throughout Alaska. Now there's a small problem with that. Um, one, we're not getting three to $4 billion uh, mm-hmm. in, in federal money. The second problem is that it would take decades to order the fiber, um, get past all the engineering, the EIS and, oh, yeah. and all of that stuff. It would take decades. So our solution, we believe, is the most affordable and the quickest. You know, we, we launched a system in Akiak, and it took, um, I want to say it was three to four months to design it and to build it and to get the first person hooked up with broadband in that community. So, I mean, and it was a fraction of the cost, right, when, it, when you look at the CapEx involved. So is this, um, you know, somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to say, you know, this sounds like what Elon Musk is doing. Elon Musk, Elon Musk mm-hmm. is what, you know, to the everyday person that's just listening to this episode yeah. is, is what you're doing similar to what Elon Musk is doing. Is it competing against each other? Is it working hand in hand? What's mm-hmm. what's the difference if there is one? Well, it, our estimation is that there are about 150,000 rural Alaskans that are still unserved or underserved. OK, you break that down. It's about 35,000 households. Now, what I can share with you is that that Leo Technology is 
the way the the way a satellite floating over Alaska works is that there are there are horizontal beams uh, or cells, and and basically each cell can only uh, the one web is with beams and and uh, Starlink is with cells, and they're kind of this honeycomb looking cell. Now they, you can only put so many users. Um, it's almost like coaxial cable, right? You, you know, things start to slow down in the evening. Why? Well, because everyone in the neighborhood's on it. Well, that's exactly what happens with Leo too, if you're not careful. So as the satellite floats over, um, if you're in the same cell that Bethel is in, well, it can be so pretty after a while, right? So, so the Leo technology does have a weakness and we, we call it um, uh, satellite capacity limitation. So it's, um, it, it's definitely something that's not talked about a lot. Um, but, but almost everyone knows that, that the Starlink constellation has the speeds, um, nationwide have actually gone down on average. And I believe it's around 50 by 10 now. Don't quote me on that, but, but I believe that the most recent nationwide average for Starlink was like 50 by 10. Um, but I would research that to confirm, but um, that's not what it was a year ago. A year ago, it was a lot faster. And but the more people that get on the system, it kind of slows it down. And um, oh, excuse me, it was point capacity limitation. That's what it's called. So um, if you could flick a switch and you know get everything uh, that your heart's desires in terms of you know the best opportunity for Alaska to get high-speed internet. What does that look like if you could flip that switch? Um, if I could flip a switch, it would be that the new broadband office in the state of Alaska's Department of Commerce used every, uh, every available resource to get people connected. Don't, don't have this kind of preset, you know, pre-made, you know, preset mind that, uh, you know, basically this mindset that you can only use fiber to get people connected because if, if they have that mindset, it's going to be a long time before everyone gets connected. And yeah. this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. The last thing you want to do is put your blinders on and start running down the hall. Um, so that, that would be the switch is the switch to take those blinders off and make sure that all of their decisions are technology neutral and truly in the best interest of all Alaskans. Well, I think this is fascinating, um, you know, for folks that are listening. Um, I I was actually, I don't know, I signed up for the Elon Musk uh, Starlink Internet the first second I could sign up for it a while back and paid my $100 deposit and got it shipped out to me. And unfortunately, the hardware <laughs> malfunctioned about uh, two days in, but I got, they shipped me a new one and, and I haven't uh, been able to trudge through the six feet of snow at my house to put up the new one. But um, for the moments that it did work before the hardware went out, I was hovering around 130 mm -hmm. megabytes on the high number. And then, I don't know, 40 or so megabytes on the lower number. And man, you know, that's mm -hmm. like lightning speed to where mm -hmm. I compared to where I'm at, because um, here on the Kenai Peninsula, we have DSL. And really, all that means is that it's about uh, twice the speed of, di of dial-up, which, you know, I can stream Netflix if I'm lucky kind of deal. So 
what you're talking about, Sean, and what Elon Musk is talking about, I think is very exciting. I think it's the future of internet in Alaska. I don't think it's feasible to lay fiber, you know, over 600,000 square miles in Alaska. I think the easiest, most uh, financially uh, wise move to do is to link up to satellites is what what is exactly what you're doing. So I think that's very, very exciting. It's cutting edge. I mean, you're literally doing the same stuff that uh, some of the same stuff that Elon Musk is doing, which I think is very exciting. Um, do you have any last minute thoughts before we head off here? We've covered a lot from the House Bill 363 to if you could flick a switch and and uh, and do everything succinctly with the lowest costs, with the most effectiveness, you've kind of laid that out. But is there anything we've missed on the in-between? I, you know, I, I first I want to say thank you, John, for having me on, because um, we've known about this for a couple of weeks now uh, that we were going to do this interview. And I really was excited to be on the show. So uh, first, let me say thank you for for the opportunity to share our story. Um, I'd probably just close by saying that um, the number one concern for our company is that no one is left behind. And if if the listeners, uh, the people who listen to this podcast would share that same mindset that that we need to get broadband to everyone as soon as possible as a, and make sure that it's affordable broadband um, and, and that we truly leave no one behind. I, I think that would probably be my my uh, my last request um, as we wrap up the show here. Um, and can and somebody we, buy this from the companies that you're involved in right now, like this high-speed satellite internet? Is it, is it currently available to where somebody's listening? They're like, I want to buy that. Is that available or is it coming soon? So uh, Microcom is a direct-to-consumer uh, provider um, that has locations uh, in Alaska. They have several locations in Alaska, Fairbanks and um, Anchorage and uh, the Valley. but if you would like to go to microcom, you can get uh, the Aurora service coming up here in the next month or so, a uh, couple months. And um, interestingly enough, they could actually help you with your Starlink um, connectivity as well. Um, and then uh, for those who are interested, they can also help you with the OneWeb uh, Leo connectivity. That's mostly focused on businesses um, and kind of commercial accounts. Um, and uh, Microcom would definitely be the place where people can go to uh, to get hooked up with the new technology that's coming, you know, that's here for for satellite broadband nice. connectivity. Um, I will make sure to put their link in our description. Do they will they set up the Starlink uh, satellite Internet for somebody who buys it? They'll set up all hardware regardless of uh, where it comes from. Gosh, I need to call them because God forbid I try to set it up again and I and I break another you know eight hundred dollar piece of equipment. I'm about you know done doing that. So I well, might just, give Microcom a call. <laughs> just so you know, they they sell the Starlink equipment too. <laughs> nice. Well, folks, go check it out, Microcom. I'll put the link in the description. But Sean, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the Must Read Alaska show. And I truly believe that this is the Cutting, way, cutting edge technology that's coming to Alaska. Folks, this is not like the satellite internet that you're used to 10 years ago at dial-up speeds. This is high-speed satellite internet that is going to be a game changer for folks in Alaska 
in rural Alaska, businesses in rural Alaska, schools in rural Alaska, hospitals in rural Alaska, no longer will you have to survive off of dial-up internet. You have the potential of having high-speed internet 24-7, which is very, very exciting. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome back anytime, and uh, we wish you nothing but success. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time.